Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Welcome to today's episode. I have a special treat for you because Dave is here joining me today. Hello. (laughs) You may recognize the voice from the introduction. (laughs) That is Dave. So I get emails about marriage and grief and how we seem to grieve differently from our spouses. And Dave and I, we actually have a workshop that we do once in a while about marriage and grief. We call it Till Death Do Us Part. (laughs) Obviously, in our world, it means the death of our child. And I know there are, it just runs the whole gamut on what the divorce ratio is. Some will say that the divorce rate goes way up. Some studies say there's no difference at all. But either way, uh, the death of our child is definitely a strain and pressure on our marriage because uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a trauma. Exactly. And it, it obviously affects us in the marriage, something we have to deal with and try right. to protect. Yeah, and when we grieve differently, it's easy to start uh, letting it separate us instead of giving grace to uh, let each other grieve the way we need to. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And when we do this workshop, we put together an acronym, the word TOGETHER. So I guess I will start out with the T. The first T here is for team. You and your spouse are a team. And the last thing you should be doing is playing the blame game. We all know there's no wrong way to grieve, but when it comes to our spouses, a lot of times there's a wrong way to grieve. (laughs) It's like you're doing it wrong. And whether we accuse our spouse directly or just in our heads, we feel like they're not doing it right. It can cause a lot of issues because sometimes sometimes we'll hear from bereaved parents, especially the wife that will wonder if their husband's even grieving. Yes, yes, because they don't see them cry. They don't see them visiting the cemetery or looking at pictures or holding onto the shirt, you know, those kinds Mm -hmm. of things that us as moms, we tend to do. And so, yeah, it's very true. Or they won't talk to me. I can't get my husband to talk to me. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of emails about that. Mm -hmm. How can I get my husband to talk? He never talks about it. So we're going to get into that a little bit more as we go along. I do want to say that the death of your child is not a death sentence to your marriage. You don't have to be one of those statistics of divorce. Whether it's a high or a low statistic, it doesn't matter. Even, Even if you had a rocky marriage before your child died, it doesn't mean that you're going to end up separated or divorced. It's just not a for sure thing. And that's a lot of it is up to you, how both of you choose to handle this, how you choose to grieve, how you give each other grace. It's by your own choice because you can either choose to pull together or you can choose to pull apart. We're all familiar with the saying, hurting people hurt people. And this mm-hmm. can especially be true in our marriages where we're in so much pain and confusion. Because the death of our child has to be someone's fault, right? We're used to, we've got to find somebody to blame. 
And maybe that someone is our spouse. And you're both probably already heaping on boatloads of guilt onto yourself. And so adding to the other's heavy burden of guilt could cause one of you to start thinking the family would be better without you. That whole thing, maybe I should ask for a divorce because whoa, I whoa, am a whoa, terrible Whoa, parent. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you went, went and done did it. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> you said the D word. I, yeah, I did. <laughs> Back when we went through the rough time with Becca uh, when she was three with her chemo and having her leg amputated, our pastor at the time told us something that has always stuck with us. Never talk about divorce. Never. Not even as a joke or threat with no intention of ever doing it. Because once you say it, you also hear it. And it starts to become easier and easier to allow those thoughts and it starts the process of actually happening. Remember, you're on the same team. Our oldest son used to own a semi-pro football team called the Nighthawks, and it was always fun to watch them play. And it was interesting. You could see the team on the field if they were encouraging each other and lifting each other up, uh, patting them on the back, consoling them when they made a bad play. They performed really well. And the team among each other. Right. And mm-hmm. if, if the teammates started criticizing one another or complaining about things or yelling at each other, you could see the team just fall apart and they weren't effective out there at all. So it's very important to remember that you're on a team. And, uh, so and that you support each other and not attack each other. Exactly. Yeah. So T is for team. Okay, we're going to go on to the O. O is for others. Connect with other perievers. I say this a lot. If you listen to this podcast or you read my emails or the blogs, this is so, so, so important. I can't emphasize it enough. And not just connect with other perievers. Perievers are parents who've been bereaved of their child. But not just anyone, but you need to connect with those who have hope, who have gotten Mm -hmm. to the other side of the darkness, because you can find a lot of them who are still in that darkness and they haven't Mm -hmm. found their way out. And so connecting with them, it's like the blind leading the blind. It's it's very hard to find your way out of the dark when you're connected to someone who's still wandering in the dark themselves. It's kind of like swimming out there, feeling like you're drowning. If you grab Mm -hmm. somebody else who's drowning, they're going to drag you under. But if yeah. you find somebody out there who's stronger and who's further in the along, boat and can throw you yeah. on, <laughs> throw a lifeline, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's gonna help you a whole lot more. Yeah, that's a good analogy. It is so easy to isolate ourselves. In fact, I just got an email today from someone who said. I really wanted to isolate myself at the beginning and I started to kind of pull out of that and now I'm just pulling back into that isolation and wanting to know if that's normal. Yes, it is normal. There are times we need to be alone and process everything, but there are also times we need to be with others who get it. And almost every perever I know will say that their group of friends changed drastically and we're shocked at how those we thought would be there for us just aren't there for us as we go down the road. They don't know how to help us. They don't want us to drag them down. And so they tend to stay away from us. There's all kinds of reasons that our friends stay away from us. And it really doesn't matter why. (laughs) The fact that they do, it's just very interesting. So I admit that 
time spent together with other bereaved parents, it can be bittersweet because we do cry together, but we also laugh together and we share our kids together. But these times, they're so real and they're so intimate and and we can take our masks off and just be ourselves and be vulnerable with wherever we are in our grief. Now, the Bible tells us that where two or three are together in his name, he is there right in the middle. And when we have our monthly get-togethers, we have a GPS Hope Share and Care groups, I really believe we are being the church. Absolutely. And I love being together with other bereaved parents. You know, men, we need this as well. Most men aren't interested in going someplace where it's just going to be all emotional and crying and... Mm-hmm. That's just not who we are. It's not that men don't cry, but to go to a a group (laughs) like that may not be something that we're drawn to. So if, you know, women, if your husbands are, you know, you want to go to a group and they're having a hard time going to it, just encourage them politely, you know, to go. But men, if you're listening, I would say definitely go to these things because uh, we have an example of our local group where, a guy started coming, and uh, he commented that he now realizes how much he needed to connect with others, and it was really healing, and he didn't realize how healing it could be, mm-hmm. and he's glad he finally did. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of times we think those meetings are just going to be, I, I did, I mean, before I connected with other bereaved parents, I didn't want to connect with them because I didn't want to be around a bunch of people who are a mess like me. And I thought going to something like that, we'd just sit around and it would be all emotional and we'd cry about our kids and I'd leave feeling worse than when I went. And it is just the opposite. It's wonderful mm-hmm. being around a bunch of people who are a mess like me yep. <laughs> because they get it. And yep. you don't have to explain yourself. You don't, it's, it's there, there's no judgment. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. It really, really is. And like Dave said, it's not just a bunch of sitting around boohooing and sharing our emotions. It's really just doing life together as bereaved parents. Mm -hmm. So the next letter in our, what do you call these things? Acronym. Acronym. That's it. (laughs) I'm the English person. He's the math person. (laughs) Our acronym together is the letter G. And G stands for grace. It is so important to give each other grace when it comes to our grief. Laura and I and our four other children, Becca's four siblings, all grieve very differently, and we're all on a different timetable. I tend to keep my feelings to myself, which can frustrate Laura at times, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, while she expresses hers openly for all the world to see, (laughs) which can, especially at the beginning, made me very uncomfortable. Mm Kind of used to it now. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I think of something that you said in in the book was thinking about King David and how if he had a Facebook page, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is he, he, he'd be out yeah. there probably the way Some the, way the Facebook Psalms posts, were, yeah. were written. <laughs> yeah. And when I get frustrated about Facebook posts, I, you know, and how personal we get, I, sometimes I have to remind myself that, yeah, David probably would have been one of those I would have been frustrated <laughs> with, but... <laughs> When we do this seminar, we usually play a clip of a marriage seminar called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage by Mark Gunger. And he explains our differences between men and women in our minds, our brains, and uh, that we found very helpful. Laura, why don't you 
explain that real quick. Okay, so obviously we can't play the clip for you here, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to watch it. It is really good. But basically what he talks about is something that is no surprise to any of us is that men compartmentalize everything. It's like everything is in a box. Everything has its own separate box. So there's the mother-in-law box, the work box, the, you know, uh, the fishing box or whatever. And, and they take the box out. They do or think about whatever's in that box. When they're done, they put it back in. So it's really hard for men to multitask. I don't know how they're drummers, (laughs) but they do. Somehow they manage drumming. (laughs) But, and women... All of our thoughts are so interconnected. It's just one thing connects to the other thing, connects to the other thing. And it's like our minds don't shut off. Men actually have a nothing box. Believe it or not, they have a nothing box. And when we ask them, what are you thinking about? And they say nothing. We can't comprehend that. It's impossible to think of nothing. But men actually, studies have shown, brainwave studies. It's our favorite box. (laughs) Their brain shuts down. They go into their nothing box. So with the grief, what we have discovered is it's not all, but for the most part, men tend to compartmentalize their, try to compartmentalize their grief. And they process things so differently in their minds than we do. And for us women, for the most part, we immerse ourselves in everything, you know, going to the cemetery, looking at pictures, smelling their clothes, crying on their bed, all kinds of things, because that's how we process it. Where men, they process it by putting things away. That's all a distraction to them. And they see us crying over this stuff, and they want to give us their best solution, which men, they their solution isn't to talk about things. Their solution, they'll only talk to another man if they think that man can, can fix, fix it. it. Yep. And so women, if you, sometimes you tell your husband something and he's trying to fix it, and it's like, I didn't want you to fix it. I'm just telling you. <laughs> That's what yeah. they do. <laughs> but we'll give you our best suggestion. Yes, the best solution. Just stop thinking about it. That's right. Just put it away. Stop going to the cemetery. Stop thinking about it. Put those pictures away. It's bothering you. Just stop thinking about it. Right. And I even heard of one husband that while the mom was gone out shopping half a day or somewhere she was for a long time, he actually gutted their child's room and got rid of everything, thinking he was helping her. And that's a marriage that didn't last. (laughs) But as women, we give our best solution to our husband, which is talk to me, talk to me. You need to talk about it. Who are you talking to about this? Because we, in order for us to process, we will talk to our friends about what we're processing. We feel like talking about it is the answer. And for men, that's just not it. We'll we'll just say, go away. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. So I would like to just mm-hmm. add to that, though. The uh, I guess the two sides to think about that, women. If you feel like your your husband is is doing that, telling you to get the pictures away and stop doing all this stuff that's hurting you so much, try to think that they're they're in protection mode. They're yeah, trying to yeah. protect you from pain. Yes. Now, that's that's something for you to kind of realize where they're coming from. But men. We need to pull back from that protection mode like that and realize that that's how our wives need to process this. We need we need to feel it. They need to feel these mm-hmm. things, and it's 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 something that can be difficult for us to watch them go through because mm-hmm. we don't we want to take the pain away. I know for me, 
early on with, when Rebecca passed away, my thoughts were much more towards my wife and my other kids and their pain they were going through. And I didn't even think about my loss in losing my daughter because I was so focused on the pain I was seeing in front of me that I wanted to help resolve. And it, it took a while before I even could start processing this grief on my own. But it's just important for us to try to see where the other one is coming from and see it from their end and work towards it that way. Yeah. So, yep, very much so. So that's grace. That's grace. <laughs> that's right. So let's go on to the E, which is enduring love. Right now, think about the main purpose of your marriage. What's the main purpose? A lot of people will say it's to have a family, to have kids. And if that's the main purpose is to have a family and procreate, which is, I mean, God says to multiply, then doesn't it make sense that when a child dies, that one of the main reasons to be married dies with it? So there has to be a different purpose for marriage. That's not the only purpose. How about the foundation your relationship was built on that caused you to decide to get married, which is love? And that love changes and it grows and it deepens. And it's not what's in it for me, but what can I bring to this marriage? Because it's in giving that we find true blessings and fulfillment in anything we do. And that includes marriage. God's purpose in every marriage is unity and oneness. And then I believe he also has a specific purpose for each individual marriage. And feelings are valid, but feelings are also fickle because they're based on our thoughts. And if you change your thoughts, then you're going to change your beliefs, which in turn changes your feelings. You might want to think about that. If you change the way you think, it's going to change your beliefs and your feelings. Our thoughts are like the engine pulling a train, and our emotions and our feelings are like the caboose that's getting pulled up behind. I can give an example in my grieving experience. When in that first couple of years when Becca died, and I would think about five years, being here five years, or being 10 years here without Becca, 20 years, it was like almost like anxiety or panic attacks to the point of like not being able to breathe. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't fathom being here that long. And it would just grip me in, in a terrible way. And one time God spoke to my heart and he told me that I'm not getting further away from Becca, that I'm actually getting closer to her. And that, that helped, <laughs> that helped so much to change the way I thought about it, which changed the way I felt about it. So I want to encourage you to ask God to see what he sees in your spouse not what you see. God, what do you see in my spouse? What do you see in him or her to help renew your love and to make it go deeper than it has ever been? And I know for me, the first thing I try to do is step inside of God's love for me. So be wrapped up in his blanket of love for you before approaching your spouse. When it comes to your wife and kids, ask yourself these questions. Am I patient? Is what I'm about to say being kind? 
Am I being envious, boastful, or proud? Am I dishonoring others or just concerned about myself? Am I easily angered? Do I keep a record of wrongs? Do I delight in evil or do I rejoice in in the truth? Do I protect my spouse? Do I trust in hope? Love always perseveres and love never fails. Just like starting your marriage, it wasn't about what you could get out of it, but what you could do and be together better and stronger than by yourself. We need to come back to that place. Mm-hmm. So the second T is thankfulness. And when we hear this, most of it don't do this because it can be so hard and it feels so fake. And the fresher the grief is, the harder it is to find anything to be thankful for. Because that's the thing. People will say, I don't have anything to be Mm -hmm. thankful for. And I was challenged a couple of years after Becca died that I actually personally, for a while, I had a notebook by my bed. And every night before I went to bed, I would make myself write down three to five things that I was thankful for before going to bed every night. I would think through my day. And it might be Oh, I remember I heard some birds singing, and it was actually really pretty. It could be something like I I walked, I was in a store, and I smelled the bakery, and it smelled so good. Anything, your nice, comfortable bed, at least you have a bed. <laughs> and I know people, a lot of times, it's like, well, you're breathing today, you woke up today, right? Be thankful for that. And we're not thankful for that because we don't want to wake up. Yeah, we don't want to still on, be here. Yep, yep, so I, I know how that feels. So find at least three to five things. Even just start with one if that's where you are uh, every yeah. single day. I was thankful I could take a shower today. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anything, yeah, that I got out of bed and actually took a shower. And sometimes it would be a struggle for me. But other times, once I got started, I would find myself writing like a page of things that I found myself thankful for. So I want to encourage you to just start with the smallest things if that's where you are. And if you do it consciously and you do it consistently, you will find a spark of hope igniting. Just keep going and it will turn into light and it will turn into life again. Because making ourselves be thankful helps to get our focus off of the pain of the loss and onto other things, onto life again and living again. And when I did this, I found that it started stirring something up inside of me that caused me to even want to live again after Becca died. I remember when you used to ask yourself, why do I just want to be done here? Mm-hmm. You know, especially since you had other children, you could think about your husband and just other reasons for being here. Yeah, it didn't make sense to me because in my head I knew I had a reason to keep living, but mm-hmm. my heart is just I I didn't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And I you know, it just I think that's a natural thing for a parent to feel. And I think about the parable where the shepherd left the 99 for the one that was lost. We want to find that lost one and bring them back. Mm-hmm. But the longer we stay in that in that place, the more we risk causing damage to ourselves and our families. It's common for siblings to see a parent's deep grief for the one who has lost and believe the parent thinks the wrong one died. Mm. I remember our daughter Kim actually told you that, mm-hmm. and which yes. uh, really shocked you. I was you. shocked, yes. But then we found out that's typical. A lot of times, yeah, siblings, yep. that's how they take that grief is we think the wrong one died. Yep. 
So once you start intentionally being thankful, it will grow in other areas of your life as well and help you to see a brighter future. All right, the H, which is hope, which has become one of my favorite words. When we have no hope, we have no desire to live. I personally believe families are under attack spiritually and culturally. And when our child dies, it's like we have even a bigger red target on us and on our marriage. Our hope is stolen from us and everything comes crashing down and we are left in a world of darkness and hopelessness. But the death of our child did not blindside God like it might have done to us. And that means that we don't have to stay a slave chained to our prison of darkness with no hope because Jesus came to break every single chain that could ever try to keep us bound. And that includes the death of our child. He will carry you through this valley of death and back into a place, believe it or not, of abounding hope. A verse that has become the foundational verse for GPS hope talks about that. It's from Romans 15, 13, and it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know it may feel like I'll never have joy again. How do I have peace again? But that's what that hope does. The abounding hope, it gives you hope <laughs> that these things can yep. still come back into your life. Hoping for what you can't see. Mm-hmm. So without hope, we cannot go forward. Hope can come in the tiniest speck of light in the suffocating darkness. It could even be something you just heard in this podcast or another podcast you've listened to where it's being your hope for you mm-hmm. that you can make it through this and come out the other side somehow better in your personal life, in your relationship with God, and in your marriage. The letter E is embrace laughter. I remember when planning Becca's funeral, obviously a grim time, but we were laughing at some of the memories mm-hmm. that we were pulling up for the picture board and, uh, and, uh, and videos and all. We saw a picture of Becca choking this stuffed ostrich that I got her for what would be her last birthday with us. When we went on a family vacation years earlier, we went to a drive through zoo where an ostrich came to her window and started pecking at her on the window. Mm. And it freaked her out, but the <laughs> whole family would tease her with about that. And for the rest of her days, ostriches mm-hmm. and teasing her about it was a, was a great thing and a funny thing for the family. And that ostrich is just an example of what brings us laughter. Matter of fact, I have that stuffed ostrich Mm -hmm. now, and I keep it with us in the Hope Mobile. (laughs) We need to lean on each other and into the laughter. Yeah, laughter is a medicine to the soul. The Bible says that, and it is so true. And I know it may seem like there's nothing to laugh about right now. And, And the thought, how can I possibly laugh when my child is dead? And it's like we all think that, but you will. The first few times, you'll probably feel guilty, like you're betraying your son or your daughter by being happy. But I can assure you that your child is not upset with you for laughing and learning how to enjoy life again. In fact, I think it's probably the opposite. He or she would probably be really upset to know that they're in such a wonderful 
incredible, glorious place, and you are fighting against happiness and laughter and feeling guilty when you do. If it was reversed, Mm -hmm. like we all wish it was, why Mm -hmm. wasn't it me? (laughs) We all feel that way. Would you want your child to remain isolated and depressed and hopeless and just darkness all over your life, believing that their life wasn't worth living without you? Of course not. When we stop and think about it, most of us know in our hearts that our child would not want us to live out our lives that way either. And laughing, it doesn't mean you don't care anymore. It doesn't mean that you're moving on without your child because that is impossible. Mm -hmm. But laughter, I see laughter as a way to honor your child by living instead of dying your own death. And it's okay to have hope. It's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh and enjoy life again when you're able to. From one bereaver to another, from one bereaved parent to another, from one couple Mm -hmm. to another, we give you permission Permission, to laugh whenever the urge hits. Watch funny movies together. Find things that bring laughter back into your marriage and into your home. Laugh together and try to laugh often. I know the other day, I I don't remember what it was. I was laughing so hard, I was crying. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even funny. <laughs> I just remember we were in bed and I couldn't quit laughing. And it was like, it's not even that funny. But I was just laughing hysterically and crying. And I needed that as a stress reliever. Mm-hmm. We both, it was just like... I think I needed to release some stress. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you did. So it is. it really is a medicine. It's not just a medicine for your soul, but it's medicine for your marriage. So the R in together, so this is the last one, is release the chains. In one word, we need to forgive. Unforgiveness is a huge piece of our grief, and it's usually at the root of our anger. When a child dies, there can be so much unforgiveness, it can completely paralyze us. And the first eight podcasts, if you're not aware of this podcast, one through eight, every single one of those are on forgiveness. Right now, we just have a few minutes, and I just want to real quick touch on the who, why, and how. So who we need to forgive. First, for most of us, there's the issue of being so angry at God. Many people, including strong Christians who've known the Lord for many years, you can be strong at first and you think, I've got this when your child dies. I mean, I spoke at Becca's funeral, but Mm -hmm. then it's like time goes and you just fall apart. And a lot of us get very angry at God because we know he could have stopped the death of her child. There are so many people that we need to forgive ourselves. So many of us, we won't forgive ourselves because we think we were to blame. We should have, could have. I think all of us have been surprised and hurt by family and close friends who seem to abandon us when we needed them more than ever. Our child for leaving us. And this is especially true when our child died at their own hand by being reckless or by suicide. Other people that we need to forgive may be people who played a part in their death, either directly or indirectly. But forgiveness is a choice we make. And we might say or think, I can't forgive. And at the beginning, it's not in us to forgive, especially depending on the circumstance. But as you go along, the truth is you won't forgive. You're choosing not to forgive. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And I talk about that in those other podcasts. But I believe forgiveness is one of the first steps to getting out of this pit. And it's not based on our feelings. It's a choice that we make. 
So why do we need to forgive? When you make the choice to forgive someone, you're not saying that you are okay with what they did mm-hmm. and how they wronged you. There still needs to be justice if the law is involved. You're not giving that up. Right. And forgiveness does not depend on whether or not a person deserves that forgiveness. It isn't even based on if they are sorry for what they've done. Forgiving that person is not offering them a way out. Forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for you. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the saying that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die? As long as you hold on to unforgiveness, you are chained to that person with anger and bitterness. Forgiving those people is giving yourself a gift, a gift you deserve to have and unwrap. Yes. So how do we forgive? First of all, don't believe that lie that you can't get free of this. It's like love. True love is not given based on an emotion, but it's a choice to remain committed unconditionally. It's a commitment that's based on our deep affection, whether we're feeling that affection at the moment or not. If <laughs> uh, We can't base it on feelings, right? On our love, especially in our marriage. And forgiveness mm-hmm. is the same way. It's not based on emotions. It's a conscious decision we make that goes way beyond our feelings because we know it's something we need to do for ourselves. Over and over. And like I said, I understand at the beginning, it isn't in us to forgive most of the time. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to breathe. Absolutely. But there comes a point where we start to make the choice that we either want to start working to be free of this Or we want to stay angry and bitter and not forgive for some of the reasons Dave shared. So after we decide we want or need to move in this direction, we need to speak it out. I believe there's power in our words so much more than we seem to realize. So whether you say it as a prayer or just as a statement to yourself, you need to speak your forgiveness out loud. You need to hear yourself say it. Use the person's name, whether it's your child, your spouse, another person, Yourself. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And that probably won't be the end of it. It's not like an immediate thing. You may need to come back to the statement of faith several times a day at first, but as you determine in your heart to take these steps, God will be faithful to meet you. And you're going to find yourself having to forgive this person less often until one day you realize you truly have forgiven them. There aren't all those emotions attached to it and you're free of the painful grip that they once had on you. And that's going to be a wonderful day when Mm -hmm. you realize that. Mm -hmm. If you're not sure how to do that, I've actually written out several forgiveness prayers that can be spoken out loud for the different people that you personally need to forgive. So in those first eight podcasts, if you go to those, a lot of those will have a link where you can download those prayers. And if you do that, it's also going to add you to the GPS Hope family, and you'll be joining over a thousand parents who get a weekly word of hope from us so that we can stay connected Together. Together. There we go. (laughs) So let's review our acronym together. T is for team. O is for others. G is for grace. E is for enduring love. T is for thankfulness. H is for hope. E is for embrace laughter. And R is release the chains of unforgiveness. Mm -hmm. We need to remember that our child's life was so much more than just their death. We need to turn our focus on how they lived instead of how they died. 
and the tears will fall as you grieve. But Dave and I pray that you will find joy in how they lived. And may you once again find joy in each other and in your marriage as you continue to live out your own days here on this earth together. While Dave is here, I want to just Uh, remind everybody. uh, I'm sorry. I was in my nothing box there for a moment. (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) So I wanted to bring up the cruise. There is a GPS Hope cruise that we're going to be doing. It's it's called the Grief Cruise, but we're going to be having a track on it for bereaved parents. The cruise itself is for any grief, any loss. So it's open to anybody that can Mm -hmm. go this way, but... Right. So there's a grief seminar on the ship that you register for. And then whoever, you know, whoever's registered, you go to whatever sessions are helpful for you. But GPS Hope is being given its own track specifically for bereaved parents. And it's not until uh, December of next year of 2021. So there's plenty of time to pay for it. It's six nights in the Western Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And it's a uh, Royal Caribbean cruise line. Yep. And it's going to be awesome i have wanted to do this and, for years and the because prices are pretty good the prices are really good they gave a really good price because uh, the last cruise we were going to do was canceled so please check it out if you're even remotely interested you can go to gpshope.org cruise that will take you to a page of all the information we would love to have you join us on that cruise i'll tell you there's nothing like it i went on a cruise just a few weeks after becca died dave let me go by myself and it was wonderful i mean no cooking no cleaning i mean it was no responsibilities just whatever i needed to do in my place of grief so and then to be with other people who are just it's going to be wonderful yes so and it is up until september of 2021 anything you put down is refundable so don't Mm -hmm. let the whole thing with COVID right. concern you about that. I, I really believe things will be in a much better place <laughs> yeah. a year from this coming December. Right. Just remember that yep. that shouldn't concern you. Check it out. And if you didn't catch the URL, we'll have a link for that in the show notes too. So let's go ahead and have our birthday segment that we do each week. We have Dawson Morris, who was born on October 29th and is forever 19. Denise Vaughn was born on October 29, and she is forever 30. Marissa Diaz was also born on October 29, and is forever 20. Zen Dylan Coe was born on November 1st, and is forever 17. We know how important it is to remember the day that our children came into this world and so we celebrate with these families uh, that day if you would like to have your son or daughter's birthday share with our listeners i would love to do that just go to gpshope.org birthdays there's just a little form that you fill out with the information we need and submit it and i will add your son or daughter to the birthday segment the week of his or her birthday The life of your son or daughter is more than that one day, the day of their death. 
it's a culmination of all of his or her days, no matter how short or how long it was. And it's the same with your marriage. It's more than just that one tragic day. It's a culmination of all that you've done as a couple before your son or daughter's death up until the day one of you leaves this earth. So we encourage you to be determined that your child's death is not what will be the death of your marriage and that you will go on from here to grow into a happy, fulfilled marriage until, as you said and meant in your wedding vows, until death do us part. Remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.